Hello again and welcome to episode 5 of the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. I'm Andrew Bracey. In this interview series, we hear from doctors who are taking charge of their careers and personal lives and forging their own unique creative paths. Uh, as you've probably seen in the episode description, this is a bit of a different one today. My guest is Melbourne sports physician, Dr. Mitch Anderson, who, as well as treating and, uh, and assisting uh, professional and elite athletes, is actually also one himself. In, in March last year, he rode his way into the record books, cycling further than any person had ever travelled in one continuous 24-hour period. As he discusses in our chat, his record-breaking ride took him into what was for him, uncharted physical and, and psychological territory. Um, but by putting to work all his medical knowledge, understanding and experience, um, he was able to push his body over 894 grueling kilometres in an absolutely superhuman feat. So whether you're into cycling, endurance sports or sports in general, I think it's a really interesting chat. And yes, of course, I did ask the big question, why did he do it? So I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Uh, first, though, quick reminder to any of you who've not already signed up and booked your tickets for CCIM 2019, that's the Creative Careers in Medicine Symposium, uh, get over to the website and register today. You can do it while you're listening to the podcast, if you like. Um, of course, it's on the 3rd and 4th of August on the Gold Coast. It'll feature TEDx-style talks, workshops, uh, one-on-one career counselling, uh, a medical careers expo. There's already a great uh, bunch of really great speakers lined up, including our guest on the previous episode of this podcast, Dr. Dinesh Palapano. Um, and in fact, if you haven't already heard that one, I urge you to go back and have a listen to that chat. He's an incredible guy uh, with an incredible story. Um, as well as the talks of the symposium, there's also creative classes you can take. You can learn from those who've been there and done about how you can get your own side hustle going and so much more um, over those two days. So again, that's CCIM 2019, August 3rd and 4th on the Gold Coast. For all the details and to register, go to creativecareersinmedicine.com. And of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. So to our interview today with Mitch Anderson, as I said, he holds the world record for 24-hour endurance cycling. The 24-hour is considered the pinnacle of endurance cycling, and it really is mind-boggling to think about, especially when, as he explains in our conversation, it's an event that most people only get the opportunity to attempt once in a lifetime. So you don't want to mess it up. Um, as a lead-up to that attempt, he'd already broken the 12-hour endurance cycling record with a ride of 492Ks that taught him a lot of lessons but also allowed him to prove to himself that he might just have what it took to go for the big one. Mitch has some really fascinating insights from a personal perspective but also from a medical standpoint about what he and his research partner hope to share from the physiological data and observations they logged, compiled and examined along the way. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mitch Anderson. Mitch, thank you for so much for, for taking the time to chat today. Um, can you tell us a bit about the, your, your practice? You run a sports medicine practice down here in Melbourne that you founded. How, how did that sort of come about? How'd you, what was your journey into to sports medicine? Well, I took a bit of a convoluted journey. Um, thanks for having me, by the way, Andrew. Um, I, I, t- I took a convoluted journey to medicine, so I'm a, uh, a registered physio that I, you know, I didn't, didn't quite get into medicine at my first attempt out of school, which I think is a pretty common um, experience of, of, of a lot of people and didn't let that impede me. I, uh, I did uh, uh, a, an honours degree in, in science after I'd finished uh, physiotherapy, working part-time as a physio on the weekends and then 
uh, managed to start a PhD and jump over into medicine after doing a little bit of exercise genetics in uh, uh, at the University of Melbourne and jumped over to, to medicine as a postgraduate. And then because I was really involved with sports, it, did, it wasn't too much of an impact. You know, it wasn't too much of an impediment to uh, to my life to to be studying for such a long period. So it ended up being about uh, twelve years of, of full time study wow. uh, before I finally graduated from from medicine in two thousand six. Right, uh, I, I probably did my internship and and um, decided that I'd be a full time athlete for about six months, uh, and actually <laughs> found it incredibly boring. <laughs> uh, I was I was racing as a professional triathlete the whole way through yeah. uh, the early 2000s through till uh, well ending in 2015 racing as a triathlete uh, and that really well it paid the mortgage as well as the, um, took me all around the world so you know I sort of I, I didn't really have any thoughts about setting up a practice up until uh, I I ended up. I walked past uh, this, a beautiful building in um, in, the, in North Melbourne. I lived around the corner and uh, fell in love with this building as soon as, soon as I saw that it was up for sale mm. and managed to uh, to purchase a, a, a third of um, an old gas pumping house here in, in North Melbourne right. just on Macaulay Road. And so uh, my my dad said he was a, you know used to be a small business owner himself said oh you should live out the back and set up your business out the front so. I set this business up in uh, 2012 after, you know, the labour of love of uh, um, refining and refitting out a heritage building, mm. and uh, you know, and, and and really with with a few things in mind. Obviously, one was to to set up a space to work, but also set up a space that um, is in a sporting precinct. There's a pool across the road, and uh, uh, also the North Melbourne Football Club's over the road. Thus, the name. Shinbone Medical, right, which probably isn't obvious to anyone who doesn't follow <laughs> AFL. Uh, they're the Shinboners. Yep. So the I set up this at my brother-in-law's uh, suggestion called it Shinbone Medical, and uh, I see we have a physio, a couple of physios here, so a massage therapist, a psychologist, and you know it's really grown slowly and organically over the last seven years, uh, with probably now half of my load coming from triathlon cycling swimmers or athletes yep. and then the other half of my load uh, comes from um, uh, foot and ankle and uh, upper limb work that I do. I do surgical assisting okay. uh, one and a half days a week with the Melbourne Orthopaedic Group. So, you know, funnily enough, probably the majority of the, the cases that I see uh, that aren't sporting are foot and ankle related. So, funnily enough, Shinbone Medical ended up being an incredibly appropriate name. <laughs> So you touched on uh, a little bit about your, your sporting background in, in triathlons and, um, and Ironman. That obviously eventually segued into um, distance cycling or, or endurance cycling. Perhaps we could start mm. um, by explaining a little bit to our listeners uh, about the sport of endurance cycling. Obviously, when we think of most sports, we're generally thinking about a field of competitors or at least two teams or athletes maybe going head-to-head. But your sport and its events are a lot different uh, in that you're mm. essentially sort of competing against a set of numbers and benchmarks and, in a sense, your own body. Is that sort of fair to say? Yeah, look, so I guess it's probably worth covering off that in triathlon, I was in the ultra distance or the Ironman distance right. um, uh, events, which is Ironman in Hawaii. As the you know the, the glittering prize yeah. that's, uh, that everyone's sort of chasing, 
even just racing over there ends up being a, a real privilege. So, mm. you know, I sort of did 30 Ironman triathlons. And I raced eight times in Hawaii and uh, managed to finish 10th uh, uh, as my best position overall there. So that, that sort of, you know, I guess during medical school, I, you know, I really um, had uh, yeah, the privilege of travelling a lot. And the, the thing that I was best at was always the bike leg. You know, I was sort of uh, second, third or fourth fastest time when I was in Hawaii at the World Championships. Right. And uh, I really followed, followed closely, uh, you know, cycling, professional cycling, and always sort of felt as if, well, oh, gee, I really missed, um, missed the boat there. I should have been a... I should have been a professional cyclist, but you know, in in hindsight now, I think um, uh, taking performance enhancing drugs uh, as a career choice would have been really poor for my <laughs> sports medical career. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> so I guess when I sort of came to the end of my professional triathlon career, I, my interest was was um, prickled by uh, by Drew Jin, who had uh, an attempt at the world twenty four hour track cycling record uh down here on a, on a local track in melbourne and uh it was brunswick velodrome and you know I, I i actually saw it from a you know through the lens of both you know a, as a, a retiring elite athlete but also that uh he picked um what i thought he made some what i thought were poor choices in terms of um setting up where he was doing the event and you know he, he didn't ride a uh, time trial bike for the whole event and i just sort of thought oh you know he's an elite athlete he he um had you know won four olympic gold medals yeah. in rowing and had moved across to cycling and got six at nationals in the time trial and i thought well he's no easy beat so you know and he sort of missed the world record by about 60 kilometers and i thought oh you know i, I reckon i can do that <laughs> so, uh, I, so I, I took the strategy that uh, I, I thought what I'll do is um, is I'll attack it from the perspective of I'll, I'll try a nine-hour cycle first, uh, which I knew was my you know that's about how long an Ironman triathlon took yep, me. Yeah, I thought I'll just I'll just suck it and see. I'll I'll do that on a quiet weekend on a little crit circuit we've got down here in, uh, in Port Melbourne, and I rode around there, rode around, 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 around for. <laughs> for nine hours with a bit of help from a couple of mates right. and uh, thought, oh, yeah, well, I'm ballpark to get this 12-hour world record. So I then set up the an attempt and uh, and managed to, to snag the 12-hour world record as a stepping stone to thinking about, you know, the more Blue Riband event of the, yeah. of the 24. Sure, sure, sure. So, I mean, <clears throat> what... Um, um, before we get into to talking about those, those, those actual um, records, I'm... Um, Wanted to sort of start by talking sort of, I'm interested in what makes someone like yourself want to push yourself to these kinds of extremes. I mean, is it about exploring and understanding the limits of the human body? I mean, obviously, you said before you, you know, spent 12 or 14 years or whatever it was um, studying um, various medical and health de- science degrees. Um, is this part of a sort of a greater intellectual journey, sort of under- understanding what's possible with the human body and all that kind of stuff? Or are you just a, sort of a sucker for punishment? <laughs> uh, both. Uh, I, th- I think um, that what I, the way I looked at it is that it was always the case that the longer an event went, the more interesting it became from um, a, a an intellectual or a psychological uh, viewpoint. Okay. And you know that that was the draw for Iron Man while my body was holding up, and I think. It's, it's a natural progression then into endurance cycling 
because there's a you know there's a really you need not just a good sports IQ, but you actually need uh, some smarts to be able to to be organised enough to, uh, to to do an event like that. So it was actually it was almost the the logistical challenge of mm. of, of setting up how actually I would um, premeditate success uh, at getting these world records that that actually made it most interesting for me and how I could use yes my sporting background but also my uh my sports medical um smarts that i've sort of developed over you know not just at university but but working in my practice that mm. you know dealing with lots of athletes it, it makes you look at look at yourself and your own practices and i, I just sort of you know I, I could never have done this event a 24-hour world record as a 22 year old it really took that 20 years of dial in and out of sports um with my background it uh, Again, I, I just don't think that there's many people who, well, who want to do the event to start off with. So it's not as if there's, uh, you know, it's not as if there's thousands of people trying every year to get the 24-hour world record. Yeah, yeah. But also, there's there's not that many people who actually uh, have the the background that I do uh, in in terms of sporting as well as um, science knowledge and mm. nutritional knowledge. So it, it, it felt like the culmination of really 20 years of work um, in and around sports that I could actually uh, execute getting getting the world record or getting, what ended up getting, getting a couple of world records. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating challenge from that standpoint. When you get the 12-hour ride um, in the um, – I think you wrote later that um, the ride had taken, to, taken you to a dark place. You talked about how you'd, you'd suffered mental and physical anguish, particularly in the, in the final three hours of, of that ride. I'm quoting mm. from what you wrote at the time. You said, I wasn't sure if I could or wanted to finish, but I did find a path. I'm wondering, given your medical background, all that study, as we were just sort of talking there, um, when you're actually in it, I, we, so, you, know, you just touched on the, how it helps you with your you know, preparation, your planning, and how you approach it. But when you're actually in the moment, um, just having that understanding—you know, the medical background, the understanding of your body, um, the physical elements of it—is it sort of like you know you might consider like a, a racing car driver, or perhaps a test pilot, when they get into trouble, sort of mechanically, and they they understand what the what's going on mechanically with the car or the plane, and what, how they can coax it through it when they're really, you know what what they can do to to get themselves through. Mm. Is it that kind of um, uh, Sort of a, a understanding that can think of you of the body that can help you through in a similar way. Do you think? Look, I think that's 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 a that's a really useful analogy that um, that really you're looking for warning lights constantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that you know if the fuel's getting low or that you're revving the engine too hard. I think that yeah, that, that, that the analogy is a good one, it, and it's it's having uh, the prescience, and I think that only really comes with experience. That, that you need to be uh, in an uncomfortable place in terms of uh, your physiology, but still be in a relatively prescient and comfortable state from a psychology psychological perspective. Mm. And because uh, yeah, again, these long time trials are all about control and controlling uh, your pacing. So I guess you know Ironman had really predicated that I would be able to do that yeah. to hold that pace and if you know I, I, I think the, the data's up on um, Strava but also I think it's on my website that you know I really uh, I have a uh, this the standard error around heart rate and power and speed for me uh, it, it's, it's quite narrow 
Um, and I think that that's because of, you know, the number of hours I've spent time trialling both in and out of races over the last sort of 20 years. And, yeah, there's not you – know, I've probably, you know, ridden oh, hundred, hundreds and hundreds of times over – uh, the 180 kilometres of um, on my time trial bike. Sure. So I think that you know, again, that that just helped me um, from a um, practical standpoint about you know getting the engine rest right and getting the nutrition right. So moving up then to the 24 hour um, record attempt. Um, you know, 24 hours riding on a bike seems sounds fairly straightforward. You know, you get on the bike and you ride until the time runs out. But obviously, there's as you've sort of alluded to and in, in some of what we've spoken about so far, there's a lot more to it um, logistically. Um, you've, I think you've described it, you know, some of the planning and preparations as, as requiring like a chess-like precision sort of approach. But because um, aside from obviously the, the training and the physical exertion of the day, there's all kinds of other things that need managing, like getting the funding, the, you know, finding the track and, and you know having having that mm. sort of um all those sort of permissions and and things but then also you're on site medical support and mm. i just can you talk us through that the process of logistically setting up a, a challenge <laughs> like this i mean yeah. it's, it's sort of almost as as, as as much of an achievement as actually just getting the record itself mm. Look, i guess this is it's both a um a time and uh and fiscal expense uh for for undertaking an event like this and you actually only want to ever want to do it once and that's not just from, a, <laughs> from an organisational but also a physical perspective. Yeah. So I, I sort of, you know, I've got a young family and I went into it thinking I, I really only get one shot at this so I've got to make every post a winner. So thankfully my uh, long-term sponsors, of, which are Giant and Shimano, who still sponsor me now, in retirement, which is very, very kind of them, uh, had, you know, they've sort of been looking after me for about 15 years. So uh, they were on board supplying bikes and equipment. And then I managed to use all my connections to get a track down at, um, out the back of Anglesey in Victoria that gets Lindsay Fox's owns. And because I was raising money for um, uh, uh, the, uh, a bereaved family, uh they kindly donated the track and lots of people donated their time too. So, you know, realistically, yeah, yeah, you, you end up uh, being a people manager as well. And it became quite unwieldy. I, luckily for me, my wife uh, is a management consultant and, uh, and she, we had a, uh, a, a young daughter at the time. We've got two now and I managed to employ her <laughs> part time uh, to, to help me, you know, set up yeah, correct. Uh, no, don't worry. It was, it was expensive. <laughs> she um, she did a great job of getting helping me to get people organised because it's, it's just more than a one-man sort of show. And I think I tried to do it as a one-man organisational show in the 12-hour and almost come unstuck from a permits perspective and, you know, just uh, actually – get it, I was lucky to get it all uh, to work on the day. So, you know, I think it's it's setting up um, your timing in terms of, well, you need obviously some, some practice on the track, which I'd organised a couple of times. And also you need to pick the weather. So, uh, you know, my, my brother worked at the Bureau of Meteorology as a forecaster and he and I spent many hours sort of working out when the most stable weather pattern was going to be and what the air pressures were going to be and temperatures and all that sort of stuff because that's that's critically important as well. And yeah. You've got to look at what Brad Wiggins did in his hour record um, where 
realistically, he, he's probably the best there it will ever be or ever was um, at the hour. But he's just had his efforts surpassed because you know he picked a track where the where the the air pressure wasn't right. Whereas um, a, a rider recently bested his world record because they picked New uh, Mexico. The perfect conditions uh, and at altitude. Yeah, yeah. So all that stuff plays a role. So you really need to take a fine tooth comb and work out. Uh, you know, you don't want to be doing it on a 35-degree day, which is really windy. Yeah. So, you know, we picked March in Melbourne, which is usually um, mild and mm-hmm. still um, weather. And, you know, we, we were lucky from a from the standpoint that it wasn't that windy, but it did get very cold overnight, which was uh, was difficult to cope with uh, from a um, physiological perspective. I, you know, I spent a good deal of the night vomiting um, during the event. And, um, you know, luckily had... Uh, medical people on site with some <laughs> some Zofran, some anti-emetic to, that I could that I could use, so I could keep right. some food and drink down. Yep. And you know, I'd, I'd certainly worked out that I was using trying to use some warm soups that I was that I was drinking, but you know, I was averaging over 37 k's an hour, which uh, you know, and in, in the pitch black, we had lighting all around the track, which was another part of the logistics. But trying to get down hot soup. While you're riding at that yeah, pace, yeah. is no mean feat, as well as you know other um, bodily functional tasks, which um, you know become imperative at yeah, times. Yeah. Uh, again, I was um, quite um, premeditated about going on a low fiber diet leading into the event, so I didn't have to stop for um, a a long nature break. But right. certainly, there were a couple of um, uh, nature breaks um, from a Making water perspective that yep. uh, that, that were, became more and more difficult as uh, swelling in my perineum uh, <laughs> got worse from sitting on the seat oh, for yeah. 24 hours. So yeah. again, I was again premeditated about that. Having you know done my couple of long rides mm-hmm. already, I used some um, some local um, uh, lignocaine jelly on my undercarriage, which sort of numbed things up nicely when it was getting uncomfortable, right. as well as taking some, um, I used some tramadol for, for pain relief as well as Panadol and avoiding the NSAIDs, not wanting to end up with um, any kidney damage over the time. So, but unfortunately I, I ended up with a, you know, quite a large um, um, ulcer essentially about the size of a 50 cent piece, which oh. um, yeah, in my perineum, which uh uh, ended up needing to be debrided <laughs> quite um, uncomfortably. Yeah. Um, so I sort of spent seven weeks um, after the event recovering with, with a big hole in my bum. <laughs> 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 it took seven weeks to heal, which I, I didn't see that coming. I sort of thought I might be a bit sore, but not that I ended up with a full sickness um, burn in my undercarriage. But uh, <laughs> well, so, so look, these are some of the things, I guess, that you, that, that, that you, yeah, like as you say, that you can't entirely plan for. But you know, I understand that you, that, that, that from a from a physical perspective, that the planning was was fairly comprehensive. I mean, I was looking at some of the numbers that you calculated it was going to be. I think it was around two hundred one thousand heartbeats as part of two and a half million. You know, once you added up all the all the heartbeats throughout the, the training and the two hundred and seventy oh, yeah. hours of training that went in, in the lead up, and then during the actual event, something like twenty one thousand oh, calories. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's something like fifty Big Macs is the the amount of calories you burn. And I think you know the the, the thing that um, again um, because of my science background, um, having done uh, and been involved with oh, probably 
you know, let's let's just nominate somebody between uh, 15 and 20 um, scientific studies or physiological studies over the year that involve um, uh, physiology right. that I I had the pressings before the t- the 12 hour to um, to get a mate of mine, um, Professor Andre Lagersh, as a well, I think he's associate professor either or other, who's down at the Baker. He's a um, he's a cardiologist with a um, triathlon background, and so we actually have done some uh, testing pre, post, immediately post, and then um, six weeks post uh, each of each of my efforts um, in the twelve and the twenty four hour to look at specifically my heart health, but also, you know, I did blood work and um, we've done exercising MRI as well as uh, looking at looking at the heart and right. uh, as well as um, echocardiograms, ECG, a bunch of bloods and we're hoping to get that, that work published as a as a case study relatively soon. So what's that Presumably, were you, were you always also, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably wearing all sorts of monitors and things throughout the ride, so you've got data throughout the, the journey as well, is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we, we we tried to collect as much data as we could, and I think uh, I, I wrote this in my my little report, which again we're going to be putting in the study. That there was there were three things that we did uh, every hour. So they asked me um, an, an RPE, so a rating of perceived exertion, which is um, the Borg scale, mm. uh, just to work out you know how hard I was finding it. And then uh, my brother-in-law, who's a psychologist, set up a a series of questions to work out. Uh, where I was at in terms of my um, uh, cognitive function yep. uh, during the event, uh, and also what was the other thing we did? Um, uh, well, there was one more thing. Oh, gee, there, there you go. I am I am tired from having six children. <laughs> uh, but uh, essentially, um, oh, that's right. We did a. Uh, I had to to remember five numbers and report them backwards. Um, after being told the numbers uh, in succession, right. So, uh, funnily enough, my my um, numeracy wasn't affected. So I was still able to, throughout the whole twenty four hours, be able to, you know, r- repeat, you know, five, two, one, six, eight, in a ba- then rep- repeat that backwards um, uh, for the whole twenty four hours. But my cognitive function, um, from a creative standpoint, was was certainly impaired. So, you know, I wasn't able to remember all the names of my nieces and nephews when I was asked right. at uh, sort of the eighteen hour mark. So, you know, you really you reduce blood flow to the part of your brain which you don't need, which I, makes total sense. It was actually nice to um, uh, elicit that um, from a uh, you know from a from a questioning perspective. So all those little sort of Easter eggs are going to go in this uh, in this study that we're we're, we're publishing. So yeah, and we're hoping to get a, you know a, a good journal and uh, and hopefully you know I'll, I'll send it through when we've got the yeah, um, fa- to link when we've got it. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Fascinating read. Just on that point, you 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 know we talked a bit about there about the the, the psychological aspect of it, and um, I understand in the lead up you worked with a psychiatrist specialising in PTSD. Um, sort of to try and help build up your mental toughness or endurance. Um, mm. You sort of talked about, I think, things like dissociation and how you were using those sort of methods to become sort of almost apart from your body. And that I think mm. you sort of said after the ride, you know, that you were able to sort of tap in almost like a Zen like state where you felt removed from the pain and the physical work that was going on. Um, mm. It's a fairly, I mean, 
to someone like me who's never <laughs> never done that, it's it, it seems like a pretty difficult sort of concept to comprehend. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how is it possible? What does that feel like um, when you go through that sort of transition? That is that is that what they call the zone? Yeah, look, they probably do. I, I, I was really concerned after the twelve hour that you know. I had actually I'd ruled out doing the 24-hour immediately on finishing the 12-hour because I had actually found it so incredibly um, not just physically uncomfortable but feeling as though I was I was bonded to finish that I didn't have a choice about whether or not I got off the bike. That's that's really what I struggled with. That you know I couldn't stop and 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 being um, uh, really. Uh, disempowered like that I found it found to be yeah quite quite powerfully uncomfortable so uh I'd seen um Jeff Thompson who's a psychiatrist about um uh depression which I'd sort of had been treated for now for about six years um after I was divorced many moons ago 10 years ago and he did specialize in PTSD and you know I, I ended up in um having a lot of sleep disturbance after the 12-hour that Jeff and I spoke about a lot. So I sort of, you know, promised myself and also my better half that uh, I would use Jeff in a more pragmatic manner before the 24-hour. And, yeah, he really helped me with a few strategies to deal with um, the discomfort that I had never used before. And, and this is kind of what I was talking about with, um, you know, part of, of executing a 24-hour world record it, Doing the the nine and the twelve hour really developed my skill set. Mm. Uh, even though I had a you know a huge tool um, toolkit for for doing these extended rides anyway, mm. but I, I guess the intensity is so much lower over twenty four hours than it was over twelve too. That really the stressors are different on your body. Having said that, the you know my heart my my right heart was sort of at about fifty percent capacity. I sort of you know, and some of my um, my numbers were commensurate with that of someone having a heart attack in terms of the, the enzymes, um, the damage in your heart. So there's a lot of physical um, discomfort that you need to use um, uh, some. Well, <laughs> yeah. In part, it's lunacy to continue with an event when you're doing something yeah. that, that bad to your body, and I think that's why I've been so careful about setting up this study that. Uh, making sure that I had medical people on site, and yep. you know, they, if, funnily enough, my the psychological stuff that we'd set up was so that if really I became, um, you know, uh, uh, unable um, or to not being able to continue from a psychological perspective, that they actually had, you know, were going to pull me off the bike. Mm. Um, I told my wife that that would never happen, but um, you know, they would have had some some. Um, triggers and some signs uh, and some feedback that things weren't going so well that we just didn't have for the 12 hours. So, yeah. And I guess the other thing that I practiced leading into the 24 hours uh, was having some overnight cycling practice. So, you know, I was completely mad. I was, I'd left one night at um, 11 o'clock at night and rode through till 10 o'clock the next morning to get practice of those, you know, those hell at the moon sort of hours yeah. just to work out how I was going to cope. Um, Jeff, the other thing that Jeff had me do was use um, Circadian, which is a, a melatonin analogue, basically, uh, to um, reduce my 
um, noradrenaline and adrenaline um, after my big effort. So I was actually actually able to sleep a lot better both prior to and leading into the 24-hour as well as afterwards. So I really, again, use some use some of my science um, and uh, psych- <laughs> uh, newly learned psychiatry stuff to <laughs> yeah. to 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 treat treat myself. So yeah, it was really um, fascinating. Um, uh, process to go through and it yeah like like i said each of the stepping stones was was as important as as the final event um to to getting the, the result of you know 895 k's in 24 yeah. hours which again i guess people sort of had no concept like oh yeah almost 900 k's in 24 hours and um it it, it can be feel quite glib but yeah, I, I would sort of encourage anyone to go out on the road and try and ride at 37k an hour for as long <laughs> as you can, and then then try and think about doing it for, for 24 hours. It was a really uh, it feels I wouldn't be able to do it today. No, <laughs> that way. I mean, I mean, even at the time, you said I think you described it as close as you can get to death without dropping off the perch. Is it is it possible to describe an experience like that when you you know just to someone who's 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 probably as you say, you know, people have never even uh, ridden at that some of those those speeds for a short amount of time. Is it possible to, to describe what going through that for twenty four hours actually feels like, especially towards the end? Look, uh, the the thing that you know, I've got a thesis that I'm that I'm, I'm going to I'm going to spoil it now, but I don't think anyone's going to beat me to the punch, or they <laughs> might. Um, that you know, denial is what, what I consider to be probably the strongest emotion. Um, that humans harbour. It's important, you know, you use it every single day of your life. Uh, you know, we're all in denial about dying. Mm. Uh, and I think, you, you know, you can't possibly live thinking you're going to die every day. Um, you use some denial for um, being in relationships <laughs> that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, you need to be in denial about um, some of the um, the the less um, palatable aspects of your own personality and other people's personalities that you mm. that you live closely with. And so in the same way, I was in denial leading into the event that I was going to go through this discomfort. Yep. And then almost um, uh, during the event, I, I, I can't tell you that much about what I was feeling and how it was because um, I, I've, I've almost as if I've wiped the hard drive yeah. from that 24 hours in my mind. A lot of my memories are from what other people have told me that I said or did. Uh, obviously, all the data that we collected. Yeah. But realistically, uh, you know, and I've got a playlist, a 24-hour playlist of songs <laughs> that at times I'll have a, a flashback if I'm riding in a cold place and I hear the, the you know, the, a, a song that I was listening yeah. to. But apart from that, it's I've only got um, uh, little snapshot, little little glimpses into what was going on uh, in my mind. It's almost as if someone else executed that day and it wasn't me. That it, it's almost as if I'm watching, you know, an old rerun of, yeah. um, I don't know, an old Seinfeld episode of someone <laughs> riding for 24 hours. Uh, that it's something that you, you're familiar with and you think you've seen before, but you just can't remember all the details. Sure. I mean, mm. you, you mentioned there some of those numbers, um, you know, the, the raw ones. You've, you've, so you officially rode 894.35Ks, is that correct, in in mm. the 24 hours, you know, on a 3.24K circuit, average speed 37.3. These are uh, kilometre um, an hour average speed. These are incredible numbers. But what um, what does the experience give you? I mean, has how has it sort of 
changed you? Um, you know, obviously, no doubt you've got an enormous sense of achievement and obviously great appreciation, as you've said to all the people, including especially your wife, um, for to help help make it possible. But how does it, has it changed you? Have you learnt something about yourself or, or something greater than that? That's that's a question I haven't been asked before. I I, I don't I don't think so. I I guess one of the things that I've learnt from sort of um, you know achieving the goal is the real satisfaction yes it lies in in, in the execution mm. but it's also in it's much more about the the journey than the destination that it's it's gathering the people around and having that teamwork and bonding experience that that has been the most lasting of all the pleasures involved with getting um, you know getting the, the series of records because mm. Realistically, I don't wake up every morning and think, oh, I got the 24-hour world record. I'm a legend. There's <laughs> like, none of that. You know, yeah. It hasn't changed my life. Like, you know, I'm not um, richer nor poorer because of having, having done it from a fiscal sense, but yep. I guess it's, it's the experience that I had with all my training partners, with you know, the setting up, um, you know, having my wife uh, help, me, help me set up the event and um, Jason Stewart is another – um, who was another guy who was incredibly important, and 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 the sponsors, and and all those people who we gathered together. That like that's what's really the lasting satisfaction. Uh, and I think that anyone who sets up um, uh, an event or uh, you know has works for for twelve months on something, mm. that's what that's what it's like. It's it's you know, and in fact, yeah, I guess it's the satisfaction in in utilizing twenty years of my expertise. Um, to execute something for myself um, with the help of others that, that that really is the the satisfying part rather than you know because I'm, I'm not in the Guinness book or anything you know you have to pay to be in that Guinness book and right. um, uh, it, yeah it's it's not that it defines you I, I think it's the way you do things that actually define you I think that's probably the thing that I've learned the most that yeah the, yeah it really is that that group and and the the hustle and bustle of and the excitement of that that you can then go over afterwards rather than yeah actually the the step by step or pedal by pedal stroke by pedal stroke that, mm. that make it satisfying. How about in terms of um, your ability now, I guess, to, to relate to and, and help um, your your patients? Um, you know, some, some of those elite athletes that you, we mentioned before. With um, does your experience you know obviously you you had a wealth of experience as a as a um, professional athlete and also you know with with the rides now but does it give you any more sort of greater insight into be able to helping them or understanding them or, or be able to explain no. to them certain things that, that they might need to understand absolutely i mean i think uh it, it it's it's it, it yeah it, it, it having that as part of my expertise now is 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 fantastic, and especially the psychological stuff, or the you know, all the things that I've learned um, from a, from a psychiatric perspective about myself have now become an overlay that helped me deal with the uh, the psychology of athletes. Sure, there's you know, um, training and um, um, injury prevention and lots of little techniques that I've refined over mm. the 20 years. But I think it's that real intensive um, understanding, psychological understanding that, that has helped me deal with my patients now. Um, uh, because I, I guess, I mean, I, 
I can't understand uh, the draw of, of some people to to endurance events um, other than the prison that I've seen it through. Mm-hmm. But I, I know how, um, again, how, how much of a, uh, a, an incredibly bonding experience it can be to go through um, an endurance effort. And I think now that we're in a largely sedentary society, it's nice to see some people still pu- pushing the limits of their endurance. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, there's no more sort of um, Shackleton-type people exploring uh, <laughs> Arctic circles or, uh, um, you know, or Captain Cooks. There's there's people who are exploring physical limits. And I think I find that fascinating. And I think everyone has their own little Everest in mind, whether that's an Ironman, running a marathon, running a 10-kilometre event or you know, that's that's what I, I like helping people with is, you know, achieving a goal, no matter how small or how big it is, that, that's, yeah, that's that's the satisfaction for me from a professional standpoint. And I guess, yeah, I've got a, a bit more of um, uh, an interesting filter on it now that I've done the 24-hour. But, yeah, the, the long-lasting satisfaction, is it going to be, again, that I'll hopefully help people for the next 20 or 30 years to achieve their own little uh, little or large goals. Now that you've officially retired from um, as a, you know as a, as an, an athlete as a professional athlete or even a, an amateur one now, uh, or in terms of elite endurance sports, um, what is is there another you know obviously you, I'm sure as you, I think you've touched on yes you're keeping quite active as not as if you've you know put the bike away and, and, and packed that away completely. Are there any sort of sort of less competitive um, or less um, extreme sort of goals that you've got in your own life now? That is there anything else you've identified now that, that you're working towards and, and that, that you might be able to put some of the, the, the things that you've learned towards doing or are you just sort of at the moment kicking up your, your feet for a little bit and sort of having a, having a bit of a rest? <laughs> well, actually, I've just finished uh, renovating renovating a house um, that we've, we've subsequently moved into. Which well, that's has been an endurance a, test in itself. Yeah, <laughs> it was an insurance event. Uh, but from a from a competitive standpoint, I've really, I've always only ever been a really uh, a goal-driven person. Uh, not a, I don't, I'm not a compulsive type exerciser. I think there's an element of compulsion that I that I enjoy that aspect, but it's not that I need to exercise every day. Otherwise, I'm miserable, mm. uh, and that's that's really only been obvious to me in the last 12 months. But oh, look, I, I ran a tour um, to Italy for. A, for a cycling event for 12 people uh, in the middle of last year, and I'm aiming to do that again uh, next year. Right. Uh, run a run a, an event or a tour to uh, to Italy, and um, also I've I've got a mountain bike event, a couple of mountain bike events, um, multi-day, multi-stage races um, in New Zealand and South Africa. I'm actually going to do a race called Cape Epic with uh, a mate of mine in, who's uh, one of my sponsors actually from Shimano. Right. Uh, he and I are going over to South Africa to do Cape Epic, which, yeah, which will be great fun. But it, from my perspective, uh, I'm I'm not aiming to be a world beater. I'm just aiming to enjoy my exercise, which is a is a welcome break from, you know, the, oh yeah, the the stress and the effort that's involved with keeping your body on that knife edge for, yeah. well, fifteen years or and twenty years and beyond, because essentially. 
that's what's exhausting. It's the having to train as opposed to um, choosing to train that, mm. that uh, becomes a blurry line when you're an elite athlete. And getting back to that, I guess that that initial spark that that, that got you interested in those um, those event uh, sports, I guess, in the beginning, which was the, the the fun part of it, which then I guess eventually gives way to the competitive side. But I, you know, does it feel like you're sort of getting back to the, the the roots of why you were interested in these endeavors in the first place? Look, that's actually a really good point. That you know, the thing that that uh, I probably became fatigued with and and that was um you know illustrated quite um quite a lot by my response to the 12 hour is that being bonded to exercise is an uncomfortable thing to feel and uh and i think when you've got someone paying you to um uh, you know either compete or sponsor you or um you know you're trying to get uh money to pay your um pay your mortgage from competing as a sports person there, yeah, there's an aspect that it is no longer your strict choice like mm. to, it's turning up to work and so i think yeah you're quite right and that's a, that's a great way to put it that um it's really easy now me returning to exercising for enjoyment and yeah sure i can still do it at quite a high level but uh i, I don't have to do it on any given day yeah. other than you know i have to get to work and uh and commute rather than feel feel bonded to exercise. So it, it is a real relief to have the tools down from that perspective. And and now I can really buy into lots of other people with their goals rather than, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty selfish pursuit. pursuit. Mm. So, you know, I, I can buy into my my family, my daughters and uh, my wife and, you know, doing renovation projects, which is which is good for the team. So, yeah, you're much more feeling much more of a team player and I'm very comfortable with that. So that was Mitch Anderson. I hope you enjoyed this episode. He definitely makes me feel very lazy indeed, so I should probably get out for a walk at the very least today. Um, very grateful to have had the opportunity to talk with him. If you're interested, um, I can absolutely recommend the short 15-minute uh, mini-documentary that was made about his ride. Um, features footage and interviews taken in the lead-up and throughout and after the event. It's beautifully put together and it gives a, a real glimpse into what it takes to achieve um, what Mitch set out to do. Um, if you're interested, uh, you can check that one out at shinbonemedical.com forward slash dr dash Mitch A. That's M-I-T-C-H-A. Um, once again, please register for CCIM 2019, uh, the symposium up on the Gold Coast. To do so, head over to creativecareersinmedicine.com. We can also get more info about the event. And of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please subscribe and feel free to spread the word for us. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. I'll be back soon with more interviews.